Welcome to a Date With Podcast. I'm your host, Claire A.H. Each episode features conversations about the professional and lived experiences of intersectional dating and love. Go on a date with someone new. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of A Date With Podcast. Today, I'm really excited because I'm talking to my friend, Samantha Fraser. Samantha and I have been co-hosting a sexy storytelling night here in Toronto, Canada for about four years now. Actually, we're coming up on the fourth anniversary later this week. And um, it all started because I saw a sexy storytelling night when I was in LA and I kind of put feelers out and Samantha and I knew each other sort of through the sex positive community. We had met um, at the Feminist Porn Awards a year prior and we certainly got along. We just didn't have a lot of opportunities to see each other on a regular basis. And she responded and was kind of like, hey, do you need a, do you want to have a co-host? And I was like, of course I do. And uh, we we whipped it together real fast. It was a, a week or two tops and then the rest is history. We've been doing it pretty much every month and it's really lovely because Samantha is a wonderful storyteller, uh, has a history as a sex blogger and a sex educator, a kind of sex and love and life coach, and also runs something called Playground, which is a conference that's been on hiatus now for about two and a half years, coming back to Toronto uh, the last week of February, so February 23rd to 25th, and it's an intersectional look at sex, sexuality, kink, sex work, dating, relationships, non-monogamy, race, gender, age, all sorts of things really. And um, it's just, it's always a wonderful time. I've I've personally missed it a lot. I'm lucky I get to uh, speak on a few panels. We're also doing uh, Tell Me Something Good, our sexy storytelling night there as the kickoff on Friday night. And On a personal note, it's been fun to have her kind of as my partner in crime because in some ways we're very similar and then in some ways we're very different, including uh, she's polyamorous and actually, on top of all the other things, wrote a book called Not Your Mother's Playground about polyamory and non-monogamy and so, and I'm fairly monogamous and um, I've always really enjoyed hearing about her experiences and kind of learning through her. She also has fibromyalgia and chronic migraines so we have different experiences around illness and disability but sort of a lot of commonality there and a lot that we can talk about and kind of learn from each other. So it was wonderful talking about not only how her relationship to non-monogamy has shifted over the years and how that impacts her dating life but also to talk about what it's like to date or I guess not date when uh, you're experiencing chronic pain. And it it was a very heartening interview, I think, to just navigate the uncomfortable parts, especially around um, chronic pain and dating. I hope that this resonates with people who experience chronic pain either firsthand or with partners or with friends, that it's relatable or sheds a little more light. So you and I have collaborated a lot. The thing we have right now that's kind of our pretty much monthly event is the Tell Me Something Good Storytelling Night, which actually February will be four years. Wow. (laughs) That makes me feel both old and excited all at once. Yeah. Like I think it was in a way that feels like forever ago. If I actually look at my life, there is no resemblance to what it was like when we started. Yeah. But then on the other hand, it does feel very fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Well, maybe that's because we've gone through a couple of different iterations. Yeah. Different um, homes, different kind yeah. of approaches. Yeah. And, you know, and we're always, we're always working to make sure that tell me something good is, is up to date, you know, and, and yeah. is, yeah, so it's we we try to make sure it's not stale. Yeah, we want it to be reflective of what people want. Exactly, exactly. For Tell Me Something Good, we have a lot of stories about whether they're first dates or hookups, meeting people online. We've definitely had quite a few Tinder stories. How does it feel to you to hear all these dating stories and to kind of feel like you should also share some of your own? Because we tell stories at the beginning of every uh, every event. 
Um, so as you know, at the beginning of almost every single tell me something good, I go, I don't have a story. Um, <laughs> and I've actually, I was thinking about this last night and I've realized partially why that is. Um, and it's because I have a little bit of a memory problem. Like if, if, if I'm not, if someone didn't really mean very much to me in my mm-hmm. life, um, or if their experience didn't really touch me, then even if they did, then I just kind of put them, I just put it out of my head. Um, and I completely forget about it until I'm sitting there on stage and somebody is telling a story and I'm suddenly reminded of like, Oh my God, yes. Something like that happened to me. So I, every time I'm like, Oh, that reminds me of that is, that is a pure genuine reaction because I feel like I've just had all of these dates in the past that I have completely forgotten about. And that makes me feel like such a jerk. Well, you've just had a very storied dating career. I've just had an interesting time. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of, I mean, when we're up there and we're listening to people talking about dates, sometimes I find myself uh, feeling somewhat maternal Mm -hmm. in a way, because especially when people are talking about some of their first dates and they're going through some of those, those feelings and emotions that maybe I went through, or maybe you went through years ago. Um, and I'm just, I just want to pat them on the head and give them a hug and tell them that it's going to be okay. And that, you know, in 10, 15 years, they're going to look back on that and probably forget that person too. (laughs) Yeah. I recently had, uh, somebody on Facebook, was asking about input on uh, breakups that involved uh, ending a cohabitation. And I look back and I, when I moved back to Toronto after being away for close to a decade, I moved back because a relationship that I was cohabitating in ended. And Mm -hmm. I remember how complicated and painful that was. And that's about, it's like six years right now. But I don't remember the feeling anymore. Like I remember intellectually, but I don't, I can't connect with that, like the physical sensations and that idea that I was a little hopeful about moving, but also just feeling like I was leaving this whole life behind and all this relationship that I was in for over two years. And it felt like so much time had been consecrated to this relationship that really didn't work out it's nice to look back far enough now that I can remember that happening and I can hear it from other people and go, okay, that's something I connect with, but I don't feel like I've been punched in the solar plexus anymore. Yeah, exactly. Like you can remember the emotions, but you don't have to experience them to remember them. Which is so great. Yeah. And it's, it's that, it's that whole thing of time heals all wounds um, that I remember being younger and I remember going through heartache and, and things and having people who were older than me tell me that and thinking, shut up. Yep. <laughs> like, I don't care. It's, t- it's not, time isn't turning right now. Nothing is helping me right now. You go away with your, with your wisdoms. Um, and then you get older and you're like, oh, yep. Yeah, it is true. It's true. <laughs> I mean, there, there are some things when I look back on them, they they had me physically shaking for days. Oh, yeah, for days. And now I think back and I'm like, I can't even believe that I liked that person. <laughs> yeah, I remember once actually being on the floor In and just like crying on oh, the floor, oh, and no. that is. Like it's super dramatic, but also like I was, I was there in earnest. I was floor level sad and I, I still remember that very vividly, but whatever it was inside me that was churning around to the extent that I didn't feel like I could be upright. I don't have any connection to that anymore. And it's very liberating. It sure is. (laughs) You actually, you didn't write the book on polyamory because there are many books on polyamory, but you wrote a book on polyamory and a very good one. Thank you. So how does it feel to have that sort of legitimacy behind you and your work? And how has that impacted the way you date? Um, Well, it's over the years, it has gone, uh, that legitimate feeling has kind of gone through ebbs and flows. Um, we opened up in 2006 and I think that we, I first kind of started getting into the public eye around 2007, 2008. Mm -hmm. So for me, uh, 
with the, with the blog and when I was a sex toy reviewer for a while. Um, and as I was writing the book, um, I was speaking about it. So there was, there was definitely some big legitimacy behind me for, I think a few years. And then perhaps you, I think you and I have talked about this in recent years. I've kind of, it's hard to describe, but I feel like I lost my identity a little bit. And and part Mm -hmm. of that comes from recognizing that there's this whole community around me of other people that suddenly were doing all of these things that I had been talking about for so long. And Mm -hmm. it's fantastic, but it, it made me question my identity a bit. Um, and I've gone through that identity crisis and now I'm back to feeling like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. I wrote a book and I'm still really smart on these things and, uh, I can give advice and people can pay me for it. And that's good. (laughs) Yeah. Did you have people who were, who like found you on OkCupid or later if you're using Tinder or even just coming to an event you're speaking at or hosting where you, uh, where they knew that you wrote a book and were they kind of intimidated or extra curious because of it? Yeah. So it, not just the book, it was also the blog because I was, I was actually writing mm-hmm. about, um, my open relationship adventures and dating. And cause I, I never really so much wrote about sex unless it was a sex toy review, mm-hmm. uh, but I was always writing about dating. Um, and so I had a lot of followers in that area. Um, and it's funny last night I was actually going through, I I need to empty out my Gmail. And so I was looking at my oldest messages and I got this message from someone in 2009 and they said, Oh, do you work in so-and-so area of the city? Because I think I just saw you in a, in this grocery store. And it was such a weird, creepy message. Like if I was to get it nowadays, I'd be really creeped out. Um, but back then I remember thinking, oh, wow, someone followed my blog and saw me on the street and thought it would be nice to say hi. How great. <laughs> yeah, that the attitudes around that, I think, shift as you get more and more messages that are like that or that yeah. are not as like geographically specific, but are as significantly creepier. Yeah. But to, but to, back to your your sort of OK Cupid question. Um it, it's always made it when I used to be dating more, it did, it always made it challenging because I never wanted to hide the fact that this is something that, um, you know, that I've written about, um, and that I talk about and and things, but it always meant that every conversation would kind of start with a few sort of predictable questions or or Mm -hmm. predictable statements like, Oh, well, you must be the expert on this. And, Oh, your life obviously looks like this. And, um, it just, it grew a bit tiresome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm, I'm glad to not really be doing that so much anymore. Yeah. When you were first opening up your relationship and dating, what was that experience like? And, and maybe what was the dating pool like? Oh God. Um, (laughs) so 2006, even though on a calendar, not very long ago, actually a very long time ago. So OkCupid, I think, I think might've started existing around then, but we weren't on it. We actually, we were on Lava Life. Um, because when we first started opening up, it was a lot more about sex for us. We didn't even realize that dating could be a part of the equation. So Mm -hmm. we were on intimate encounters and we were meeting people strictly for sex. Um, And it it wasn't very long afterwards that we realized, oh, we can meet people for dating. And we kind of found that groove. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was a, it was a different time. Like I was one of the only people who was listed as um, in an open relationship at the time on OkCupid Mm -hmm. when I first got on, which I think was around 2007. And the amount of people, the amount of men, sorry, that would message me, this is cis men, the amount of cis men that would message me and say things like, wow, your husband lets you do that? Well, you're you're hot automatically because you're married, um, which was gross <laughs> and still is gross. Um, and, and, and it's a very different, I mean, you'll definitely see those people still if you're on OkCupid today, but Mm. it was honestly like the majority of my experience for a good couple of years. Um, which is why anytime I would probably get a message from someone that didn't say something like that, I ended up going out with basically anybody (laughs) who was nice. I guess the bar can be set. However, low you need it to be. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you actually treated me somewhat like a person. Yay. (laughs) 
that's nice. You know, yeah. just somebody who acknowledges your essential humanity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a very different minefield than it is today. Mm-hmm. And when you did meet people, what was that like? Um, well, as I said, my memory thing is, is funny. I'd have to, right. have, it, it depends. There were, there were some people where, um, I met with the intention of just having a quick fling. Um, mm-hmm. I, I did tend to fall quickly for some people. Um, I think that once I got introduced to the idea that, oh, you're in an open relationship and you can date and you can have emotions, suddenly I allowed my heart to be a lot more open. Um, Mm -hmm. but I allowed it to be open without sort of having training for it to be open. Um, so I had my heart broken quite a few times because I just fell completely in love with some people. Um, and then there were other people who I was just like, Oh, I just want to have sex with you for 36 hours and then just say goodbye. Um, so it was, it wasn't always has been a mixed bag for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny thinking about OkCupid now because it's uh, it's such a just it's so far away from where I am in my life. When do you think the shift kind of came from polyamory being this very? I mean, it's still niche, it's still a little fringe, but this like very very specific thing that didn't necessarily connect with the way people thought about relationships to now where it's alternative, but it's, it's, a, it's an available alternative and people kind of understand what it is a little bit better. When did, was there sort of a, a year where maybe yeah. all of a sudden polyamory came to the forefront? Yeah, it was probably around, um, in between say 2010 and 2013, mm-hmm. um, that I remember starting to notice that more and more people were identifying that way. Like I, I went from having a friends group where we were the only people to all of a sudden, other people in our friends group to almost everyone in our friends group identified in that way, or at least had maybe gone through the experience and had decided that maybe that's not for us, but they had tried it. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it, it, we were open for probably a good five years at first before I really noticed that it started to become a thing that more and more people were talking about. And once that sort of floodgate was opened, um, I remember thinking, Uh, being on uh, social media and being on Facebook and just kind of seeing people starting to slowly type about it. And and Mm -hmm. then it kind of went from slowly typing about it to it's everywhere. (laughs) Yeah. Like it happened so fast. Did that impact the types of people you were seeing online? Did that feel like easier to date as a poly person or did that feel like, Oh God, all of a sudden there are all sorts of people and it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Uh, it felt both easier and harder for, um, for different reasons. It was easier because there was obviously more people, um, around who were open to the idea, which was really great. Uh, but it was harder because there's, there's still a lot of people nowadays who identify a certain way. Um, and they say that they're poly poly is sort of like the, the big sort of umbrella term. Um, but they don't necessarily have that emotional training that I was talking about. Yeah. You know, so they're just like, Oh, I'm open, but they're just using the term and, and, and not necessarily because it's trendy, but just because it, it might feel right for them. But, Oh, how do I say this without sound, without sounding like an ageist asshole? Um, they just haven't been around long enough. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. <laughs> and, yeah, things can seem like a good idea and it's it takes a certain amount of time to kind of shift from okay, this is a good idea to this is how I do this without hurting myself and others. Yeah, and so for me it was harder because I would I would tend to trust people. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, my intuition sometimes went out the window when someone would say, "Oh, blah blah blah, yes, I I'm this, I'm that." And when I would realize after a while that actually they they wanted to be that, but they hadn't really gone through enough experiences to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a bit of a challenge. Do you find it's hard to take your own advice or to kind of practice what you preach? Or do you find that you're able to integrate what you've written about and, you know, what you've blogged about into your own poly experiences? I am awful at taking my own advice, which is one of the reasons why I've written so much of it so that um, I can always call myself out and um, and so that other people can call me out. Um, because yeah, I'm, I'm really, really bad at it. And that's, but that's just because I, I think so much with my heart 
Um, and it's sometimes really, really challenging when you're dating and when you're thinking with your heart to turn that stuff off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I need to refer to my own pieces of literature sometimes to remind myself, Oh, Hey, remember how you wrote that thing? And you said that you should do that. You should probably do that and stop being such an asshole. <laughs> I feel like I would just like have an unbelievably dog-eared post-it note filled uh, book of, of uh, things I've written being like, you wrote this. Yes. Do it. Do it. Stop being a jerk. <laughs> but it happens. It is phenomenally difficult. Even if you're very good at giving advice or you're very good at thinking kind of more logically around these things to actually apply that to your own life. Have you had times where you learn something and felt able to integrate it right away? Uh, maybe, uh, I don't, I can't really think of any specific examples. Um, I, I mean, I think it's just sort of circumstantial, really. It depends on who I happen to be with at the time, what the situation is and how my emotions are, you know, where, Mm -hmm. what, what am I feeling? How secure am I in my relationships and in myself and that kind of stuff? I'd love to talk a bit about kind of your, your situation right now, your relationships right now and how, how you met them and how you sort of integrated them into your relationship model. Sure. Uh, so I live with my husband who I met online, um, many years ago. I don't even know. Where did you guys meet? We met on a website. Um, for him, it was Quest Personals. Uh, I don't even know if that mm-hmm. still exists anymore. Um, they had both an online and a phone version. He was online. And for me, I was using this this sort of like Toronto-based trendy website, which was, I guess, the, the precursor to a blog TO kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it was called 49street.com and it also had a dating section and I remember being on there with a friend of mine and we were actually on there looking for work because mm-hmm. we had noticed that it seemed like a lot I because I have a graphic design diploma and at the time I wanted to work in graphic design so we had noticed that a lot of people with say art director or creative director in their title um, seemed to be on this site so we were innocently and hundred percent true looking for looking to meet people to try to get jobs. Um, mm-hmm. and that's how I met my husband who now funnily enough is an art director. <laughs> well, there you go. Was he like, was he somebody that you were sort of prospecting for work or did you just think like, oh, okay, this guy seems cute. No, he just, uh, he, he, his humor actually caught my eye. Um, which is funny because it's, it's now his humor that I give him the most flack for. Uh, <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. Samantha's husband is like the punniest person. I don't want to say the, the punniest person I know, but like definitely in the top tier, I would say top five for sure. Punniest people I know. I might also occupy a yeah, spot on that yeah, list. No, you definitely do. <laughs> yeah. For, for someone who is not that into puns, you're certainly surrounded by puns. Well, that's the thing. I think really deep down I am into puns. But yeah. I just put on this big front because it's my whole thing. Um, and, and that's also, it's a good example of taking my own advice where I have to look back and be like, remember how you were, and I honestly have said this to myself in the past, remember how you were attracted to his humor. You're not allowed to get mad at his jokes. So, it's true. So I live, uh, so he and I have lived together for a long, long time. And then last um july we finally moved into a new house and my boyfriend of coming up on three years moved in with us wow yeah Yeah. and you guys met on tinder we met on tinder yeah yeah i met a couple of people on tinder actually yeah what's what's tinder like for for polyamory i mean it's a very different it's a different place where it's harder to kind of explain your situation up front and explain your own views of Polly, it's just kind of like your photo and a little bit about you. Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. I think that I Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who are, who are open and sort of use Tinder more for casual hookups. Um, and I just used it, I think for casual hookups, but also for possibility. Um, I don't like to limit, I don't like to say that one particular dating profile or, or platform is just for some kind of type of date. 
you know, maybe mm-hmm. I could meet someone for a casual hookup and maybe they could end up moving in with me after a couple of years. Clearly. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I started using Tinder, which was say four years ago now, if it was even around then, I definitely three, obviously, but maybe four, um, I would get to the end of Tinder. Like I yep. would swipe <laughs> through everybody in the city and it would be like, and you're queer identified. So that is like straight up anybody who's attracted to well, I, would, I, would be, I would be at the time I would be going through, um, um, I would do them one at a time. I would, it would be men, <laughs> just men today. And then like just women at the time. Um, I don't know how, how much they've changed their sort of gender policy. Um, me neither. It occurs to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, but so I would, I would basically get to the end of men, which I thought was fascinating. And it, there was something kind of really like patriarchally great about it being like, I've reached the end of men. Yay. That also sounds like a real, I, if it's not a movie, it should be like an <laughs> yes. action thriller. The, the end, end of yeah. men. <laughs> it could even just be about being on Tinder and reaching the end of men. And then you look around and it's a dystopian future where there is no men. And by dystopian, I mean, maybe it's not dystopian. Depends on your opinion of men, Depends I guess. Completely. <laughs> Okay, we should probably write a screenplay. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. We'll, we'll put a pin in yeah, there. I'm into it. <laughs> All right. And was there any point where you felt kind of overwhelmed by the options afforded to you in this kind of more poly-friendly world when you're on Tinder, when you're on OkCupid, when you have a fair amount of you know, face-to-face community, you're in the sex-positive community, which is not exclusively poly, but certainly there's a a higher likelihood of people being poly. Did that ever feel kind of almost too much to you? Um, Too too much in a way in in that I sort of wanted to retreat. Um, Mm -hmm. There's something about everyone being a certain way and the community just being always around you. Um, that's, I mean, I've really discovered my inner introvert in the past, say four to five years. Um, and I've Mm -hmm. always identified as an extrovert. I used to think that that's who I was. Um, but I think that the more I was surrounded by people who were similar to me, the more I actually was less so, which, Mm -hmm. which has been an interesting part of that whole identity crisis for me. Um, so just, just challenging, just like, wow, this is, this is overwhelming. There's, there's so many. Um, I also just got really tired of dating. Just like, ugh. you reach that stage in your life where you're like, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to go through all those yeah. things. Yeah. And so we've discussed right now, you're not really dating or looking to date other people. What was coming to that realization like, and kind of how has it been living in that reality for now? So and it's funny because I don't know if I've, I don't, I don't know if I've like officially kind of reached the finish line of that realization. Um, yeah. I think that it, it has just sort of happened that way. Um, mm-hmm. I have always aspired to, um, and this is one of the reasons why I've, I had my heart broken many times. I've always been really interested in living with my husband and with another partner, um, and mm-hmm. now I have that. Um, and so it's yeah. kind of like, Oh, what do I, what, what now? <laughs> where, what happens? Where, mm-hmm. where do we go from here? Um, and, and I was, I, I think about this occasionally. Um, and I thought about it recently and my answer was, we're fine. We don't have to go anywhere from here. This is really nice. Um, and as there is absolutely a part of me, that misses the good parts of dating. Um, I miss, and I do think about this. I miss those feelings that we were talking about, not the sad ones, but the happy ones. Um, Mm -hmm. I miss all of that stuff. I miss the getting to know someone kind of thing because now I'm in two long-term relationships. Oh yes. and, And, but at the same time, um, I am so, so lucky to have what I have. You know, I Mm -hmm. have, I have two men who take care of me. Um, I have chronic pain issues and they are both very understanding, um, and very good at helping me deal with it. So that's another reason why I don't think that I would be interested in dating because 
it's, it's hard for me with some of the pain issues that I have. And I'm already with people who really understand it. So maybe, maybe if I can work through some of this pain stuff and if I can get to a different place in my life, maybe we can explore more, more of the sort of sexy fun stuff. Um, but in terms of actually mm-hmm. dating, I'm not really that interested. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I've got the people who love me the most. <laughs> why would I, why would I want to bother with anything else? It's interesting because polyamory can be whatever you want it to be. And so often we talk about like the relationship model or sorry, the, um, when we talk about the escalator model of relationships, especially when we're talking about monogamy, we're talking about cohabitating, getting married and deciding if you want to have kids, but you sort of, you do hit the, hit the top of the escalator and there's a lot of criticism to that. But the truth is in any kind of relationship model, you can kind of reach a point, which is not necessarily the end point forever, but at least at a very comfortable plateau that you hang out at for as long as you want. And plateau, I mean that in a good way, not a bad way. Yeah. I think it's, it's nice in a way to hear the potential for kind of calm in polyamory, because a lot of criticism about you know, open relationships is that idea that, okay, you never stop dating. You never stop feeling like feelings of insecurity, feelings of, you know, the new, the new relationship energy, but then that heartbreak. And so it's, it's nice to see that in any relationship model, you you can experience that In in a monogamous relationship, you can have lots of chaos, lots of ups and downs, and you can also have calm in uh an open relationship and yeah and I've gone through the um I have gone through the chaos of like I've slept with five different people this week (laughs) you know I've I've Mm. been in that place um and I've been in the place of having other people really affect me emotionally and then having to come home to my husband and be like oh this is happening and I just I'm just tired of it it's just not um it's just not really that interesting to me anymore, but maybe it will be, you know, um, I, I always live under the understanding that, um, what is, what is good for now might not be good for a month from now, might not be good for next year. So just live in the moment and, um, just talk about it when it, when, and if you feel that it needs to change. Um, and if there's one thing that I'm really good Mm -hmm. at is talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And like you have, your life has been, so different. Like in the time that I've known you, I've seen you kind of go through so many different shifts, some of them purposeful, some of them obviously Mm -hmm. life happens, but yeah, you, you are where you are right now. And it's good that you feel comfortable. And that if at a certain point you're like, okay, I'd like to start dating again or start looking for hookups again, or kind of working around that in some way, you get to decide that. And you have wonderful I don't know, I would say life collaborators for people, you know, you have your, yeah. your partners and you're able to work on that together. I'd like to talk about something that might be a little uncomfortable. So obviously, um, give me a okay. red flag, you know, just say stop. Uh, how has it been with your partners, whether your husband or your boyfriend dating other people or wanting to date other people? Um, so it's funny. Cause I was just about to bring that up. Um, it hasn't happened uh, in conversation lately because so much has been going on. Um, my husband hasn't dated anyone for a good few years now. Um, because Mm -hmm. he sort of lost interest as well. He, he just found for him, he's very, very particular about the type of woman that he likes to date. Um, and when you are very particular and you are non-monogamous, you are really, really limiting your dating pool. Um, so, I haven't, I haven't really had to deal with him dating anyone for a long time. And mm-hmm. my boyfriend had wanted to, um, and we had had conversations about it and it was always very challenging for me. Um, we dated someone together and that was, that was great. But that just sort of fizzled, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. so that has always been a challenge for me. Um, I, I've always told people that my biggest, my biggest challenge is that I am built to be non-monogamous myself, but I'm really terrible at dealing with my partners. 
Uh, I'm just, I'm just really bad at it. Um, just, I suck. <laughs> I, I suck at dealing with those emotions. Um, I get weirdly hung up on things that don't need to be hung up on. Um, and so I'm constantly having this inner battle with myself about why are you worried about this? Why are you dealing with this? Why aren't you just happy? Blah, 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 blah. And, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not very good at it, but I recognize the fact that I am in this situation where I live with two partners and that at some point they may wish to be with someone else. Um, but I, my honest answer is I hope that day never happens, but my second honest answer is if it does happen, I would like to be able to be strong enough to support them in it. So there's my, there's my full confessional answer. I appreciate that. One thing you do is you do coaching and it's coaching on a number of different things, but including discussions of relationships and specifically, um, open relationships. If somebody came to you with kind of that experience of maybe I, you know, I'm married and I also have another long-term partner and at various times I've dated other folks one or more of my partners wants to date other people, but I find that challenging. How would you like, what advice would you give? Uh, well, them? I've actually had clients who have been in similar situations to me. So I've, I have been able mm-hmm. to go through that. Um, and I just, I mean, I say to them the same things that I would want said to me. Um, and it's work in baby steps, make sure that you're communicating your feelings. Um, you know, if you're, if you're imagining a situation, don't imagine a scenario, don't go from zero to 60. Um, just Mm -hmm. if you're trying to get used to something, imagine them talking to somebody and try to get used to that. And then imagine them perhaps holding hands with somebody and, and all of these sort of slight little steps. Um, and it, and it can be painful to go through these things very, very slowly, but, it can, it can help. Um, and for other, uh, for other people, it's just like a matter of, do you, do you want your partner to be happy? Um, does this make them happy? And for some people that is the, that is the moment when they click and they're like, Oh yeah, actually, yes, I do. Um, and that is often the advice that I give myself is I have to stop and say, are they happy? And as soon as I remind myself of that, then, then I feel a lot better. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent, one thing that comes to mind for me a lot is just empathy and being able to, if this is your experience, being able to mirror that for them and say, okay, well, I have multiple partners. I care about both of them or, you know, all of them. I'm able to, you know, have wonderful, fulfilling experiences with them and then have wonderful, fulfilling, fulfilling experiences with uh, mm-hmm. another partner. I'm able to date and meet people kind of more, you know, sporadically. I'm able to have really invested deep, you know, sometimes cohabitation mm-hmm. relationships and none of those validate exactly. the yep. others. So why why would their experiences invalidate what they have with me. Uh, and, and sometimes that question can be really helpful. And then other times, other times your answer is just because it does. (laughs) And that's fine too. And the problem is all of this stuff is somewhat cerebral and there's a lot of emotion connected to it. And accessing empathy is an emotional kind of experience, but fundamentally it, it puts rationality in a place where maybe there isn't. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, and and I try as much to Vulcan logic, um, my way out of these things personally. And so I try to apply Vulcan logic to other people's situations as well, um, and help them see the rational answers. Um, and, and sometimes you just have to keep looking at the logic and, and keep looking at it and keep repeating it. And then eventually you'll, you'll feel it yourself. Um, and then you'll get to that stage where yeah. you look back and you're like, oh, I can't believe I even ever felt that. And it's fine. <laughs> Do you feel, because I, I know we've talked a number of times now about this, uh, being able to look back at what was a, a terrible, painful feeling or an exciting but terrifying feeling and to not really remember what it felt like anymore. Have, have you experienced anything like that within 
non-monogamy that at one time was really painful or really challenging or intense that now is kind of like part of your day-to-day? Just in regards to dating people and and heartache, really, not Mm -hmm. so much. Nothing that would really stand out as being specifically Um, Mm non-monogamous. But, yeah, really just dating people. And I guess... I guess the idea of um, being kind of being disposable, that's one thing that I have gone through mm-hmm. in my dating life. And that, and that can happen to you when you are non-monogamous is that people will date you for a while. And it took me a long time to realize that I shouldn't perhaps be dating people who didn't identify as non-monogamous. But as I said in the beginning, there mm-hmm. wasn't a very large pool. Um, so you know, you do end up being a bit disposable because people are like, oh, well, you have a relationship already, so I can I can ghost on you or I can just end this. Um, you know, you obviously have something already happening, so it doesn't really matter if I walk away. That, yeah, yeah that happens. Yeah, you know, you can't experience yeah. pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, so person. I experience a lot of pain because of, because of uh, situations like that, unfortunately. I know that you said that you, you kind of move past dating people like this, but do you, do you find that there are still folks who look specifically to date people who are in open relationships or non-monogamous to kind of deal with or excuse some of their behaviors around mostly not being accountable to partners as opposed to being non-monogamous themselves? A hundred percent. There are shitty people, um, who are open, there are shitty people who are closed. It doesn't really matter. Um, and there are a lot of people who use non-monogamy as a, <coughs> excuse me, as, uh, as basically a, a way to allow themselves to just do whatever they want, um, and, and hurt whoever they choose in the process. Um, you know, and I've, I've seen a lot of people get hurt just because they're dating people who, who tell them, well, if you don't like it, this is just how I am. And, uh, they're not willing to compromise. And, you know, and I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from being able to communicate with people and being able to sort of meet in the middle. And you, you, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to completely give up your own wants and needs and desires to be able to respect somebody else's. Um, but a lot of people unfortunately still do. And, and so, yeah, there's, there's definitely people who do exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's too bad. I like, this is one of the reasons why I recommend that a lot of people read your book or read other books about polyamory or just kind of even what at this point, like watch a couple YouTube videos, read some blogs about it, read an article or two, because, I've had a number of friends who I would say may or may not have been poly positive who had their first experience of non-monogamy be so terrible yep. because yep. they weren't with somebody who was non-monogamous in a thoughtful, intentional way. They were with somebody who wanted to have multiple partners and not feel obliged to any of their partners in any way to be able to get away with unsafe behaviors, being really inconsiderate, you know, ghosting, canceling at the last minute, kind of, uh, pitching people against each other, making them feel like they had to kind of compete for, for affection Affection, and time. And, I I, like in several of these uh, situations I've said, well, you know, that's not really like that person may have been non-monogamous in that they were not monogamous, but they were not kind of espousing a lot of the, you know, the, the ethos of Mm -hmm, mm non-monogamy. And it's so sad. And so that's, I mean, that's really the best defense is to spend some time looking into it before diving in so that you can see that red flag. You can see that that guy who is going to tell you that he knows what's best and is going to, and it's not always a guy, I guess it's been always a guy in these situations (laughs) thus far um, in, in terms of the people I know, but you know, a person who, who says they know best, a person who says that they, you know, they're non-monogamous, they're polyamorous, and this is how it is, you can turn around and say, well, you know, that's one way of doing things, or I'm not sure I agree with you. Yeah, and, and one of the, uh, one of my favorite things to tell people is don't be a poly douche nozzle. Yeah. Um, and 
a lot of people are. A lot of people will say, this is how, this is how I am non-monogamous <clears throat> and this is how you must be non-monogamous because this is the only way. But we have to accept that there's lots of different ways and we're, we're all wired slightly differently. Mm-hmm. Um, we all need different things. I, I need a lot of reassurance, even, even as somebody who wrote a book on it, even as somebody mm-hmm. who's pretty self-assured and pretty confident most of the time, I still need self-assurance or reassurance. And I still need, um, certain things that my partners never even consider because they don't need those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. And that's one of the biggest things that I like to tell people and tell clients is like, whatever your specific needs are, unless if, if you're not hurting somebody, they're probably okay. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if somebody tells you that your needs and desires are wrong, then perhaps they're not the right person for you to be with. Yeah. And, and your needs and desires may not fit into their lifestyle, depending on exactly. yep. if, if they are things that are maybe a little above and beyond and that's okay. And you can either compromise or you can decide that this is not the best situation. Yeah. And that's, I mean, yeah. that's not, that's not a nice realization to come to. No. Um, but it can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I mean, for people who are monogamous too. Absolutely. The thing about all of this stuff is we're really talking about the platinum rule, which is not just do unto others as you would have them do unto you, but do unto others as they want. Yeah. yeah and exactly. it's hard to do that. Even as a very kind of empathetic person, it can be difficult without a certain amount of clear communication to understand exactly what somebody wants. And that's why it is, it's important in any type of relationship to be clear. Yeah, especially if, if what if what somebody wants is is completely different from you, it it can be really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I I often compare a lot of dating things and a lot of relationship things to the kitchen, um, and it's and for me it's like okay, well one person is making dinner, and you know that person A doesn't like it when you know you put whatever seasoning on it, um, and you might like it, but how about you just put seasoning on your plate and you don't have to put it on the other person's plate. And, and then everybody's happy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it can be as simple as that. Um, there's a lot of, I come, I've always compared everything to the kitchen, which I, I know irritates my husband to no end. Yeah. Um, but, but it really can come down to preparing, preparing food for those that you love um, is really a good way to compare. How are you treating those that you love? Hmm. Yeah, like my husband and I, we both like it spicy, but we usually like different hot sauces. <laughs> yeah. So it's even just as simple as, okay, we're going to cook it this way, and then I'm going to make sure that you have your hot sauce, and you're going to make sure I have my hot sauce, and we both, we get the flavor we're looking for. Exactly, exactly. And you're <laughs> both happy. You might be eating the same food, but you're just having your own little take on it. Exactly. I also, I go back to the love languages a lot, the idea of five love languages. And for my mm-hmm. partner, he's all about physical touch. Yep. And I, and I certainly enjoy physical touch, but I'm into words of, you know, affirmation, compliment, uh, just, I say, I love you a lot, but I've also realized that while I can do that and while that feels good for me, it's not really what he wants. So if he doesn't react exactly the way I would, I need to know that's not, it's not a dig at me, but he might just prefer like a hug or a kiss on the forehead or to hold my hand for a while. Yeah. And he knows that while I love hugs, I do, I value hearing things, whether that's like, I really appreciate you or like, thanks, this dinner is amazing. Yeah. Or, you know, you look really pretty today any of those things I will take and, and they'll give me a value that he doesn't really get. Yeah. And honestly, I think that that is the best advice that anyone could ever receive for Mm -hmm. dating, whether it's monogamous or not, um, is, is really, what are you putting out there and is it valuable to your partner? Mm -hmm. And if it's not, then are you just giving them what you want to give them? Um, and if so, if they're not responding, then maybe you need to change. I also wanted to talk a little bit about chronic illness because chronic pain specifically is something that you have been dealing with over the past couple years. And you mentioned a little bit that that's been a part of why you've stepped back from 
dating new people. Yeah. Have you done dating while you've been experiencing chronic pain or like, do you have any larger opinions around that? Um, I have, but it was more when I was in, uh, so, so my chronic pain stuff, which is, uh, migraines and fibromyalgia, um, really developed in 2014, um, sort of midway through 2014. So I was still, um, I wasn't with my boyfriend at the time cause we only got together, um, in the beginning of 2015. Uh, so I was still, I was still dating people, but it was, I was still in this sort of funny place of not knowing what was going on with me. And it's really only been Mm -hmm. very recently that I've been able to understand what is going on with me. So I, and, and I would say that that was actually part of my whole identity crisis time as well. So it wasn't a very good time for me to be dating (laughs) Um, because I was just, I don't know. I don't know who I am. I, I can't really, I can't really give my whole self to this. I I'm going through some stuff and I was feeling insecure about the stuff um, because it was just this constant going into the doctor and trying to figure out what's wrong and then waiting another three months and having another appointment, three months, three months, three months. Um, so trying to, trying to like, in quotes, sell myself as, as like somebody who would be interesting to date, I just didn't, it was not a good year. That was also the year in 2014 that I was stood up seven times, which had never, ever happened to me ever before. Uh, yeah, listeners I, at home, don't I, do that. Yeah. I will never forget that year. Seven, seven different times. Like it got to the point where I was like, Oh my God, it happened again. This is kind of amazing because <laughs> it had yeah. never happened before. Yeah. It's funny. And then it's like not funny. And then it's funny again. And yeah. then it's horrifying. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like maybe like meeting your boyfriend and getting to know him sort of during that period and how, how did your health manifest in your dates and your, your scheduling and your energy level for that? It wasn't, um, so bad so much at first, I don't think. Um, and I would always be, I would always be able to find like the energy for a date once or twice a week. Um, mm-hmm. and still can. Um, so it didn't really get in the way. I find that it, now that we live together, it's, it's actually a lot harder to, we have to make a special effort to sort of have those date nights. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you live together, you're just like, Oh, well, it's easier for me to kind of relax into my pain. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's easier to not put any effort into having special time for ourselves. Yeah. So that is, it's, while it didn't affect us so much before, it definitely is now. Um, so one of the things I'm really, really hoping to do this year is to look into some different ways to manage it so that I can make sure that I have some more quality time with the people that are in my life mm-hmm. because it's important. It is. And it's like, I mean, I haven't discussed this on the show so much yet, but I had a stroke a few years ago and I while I don't have the pain, I definitely have a lot of energy level issues and also just kind of like being extremely fuzzy and feeling incapable of doing things. And it's, I I do think about the fact that like, I'm pretty monogamous and I'm married, not to say like, oh, it's easier, but the experience of going online, meeting people, doing the first date dance, feeling like how do I represent myself authentically when authentically I want to be like passed out on my couch? Exactly. Um, yeah, I relate to that. That's a hard thing. I relate to that a lot. Um, like why someone's like, what do you like to do for fun? And I'm like, I don't know, nap and marathon Grace and Frankie, like, <laughs> which is a good show, but it's hard. It is hard. And like, what do you want to do on your date? I don't know. Can we just sit here? <laughs> Yeah. Can we just sit? You sit on one couch, I'll sit on another. And then if we like each other, maybe we'll get closer. Yeah. It's hard to, to set up those kinds of dates. And it's, I mean, the reality is it's hard to, to meet somebody when you are understandably invested in your own health. And that is a main priority. It's, it's hard to just like have the the time and the energy to go out and, go on dates, spend time on online or on an app. Yeah. And then also 
to stoke the fires and let something flourish. If you do meet somebody great, it's hard to feel like, okay, now is an appropriate time for that. What does it mean to be a partner? And to a certain extent, I think, especially for me that I already had a partner, albeit we were not, we had not been dating for a super long time when this happened. I could relearn what it would mean to be a partner in this new scenario, but I had someone with me for that who like was very close to me during, you know, the really bad time. So knew kind of where I was coming from and, and had heard doctors talk about limitations and things that I should do. So it's easier to say, okay, maybe our date will be, you know, heating up some ramen (laughs) and cuddling on the couch while watching a movie. Yeah. Maybe our dates will be like going outside. I'll be in a wheelchair. You'll push me around the block a couple of times. Then we'll go home. We, we get to kind of decide what that is. It's harder to present that as an option to somebody who you are meeting or have recently met who may not know as much about your experiences and your needs. Yeah. Yeah. It can be challenging. And for me, um, 2017 in particular, um, a lot of this actually had to do with Trump, but, um, 2017 was the year that I really, really focused on me and my health. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's funny as, as it's, as you know, the year is turning over, I'm noticing that a lot of people were doing the same thing. Um, which I I find really, really kind of neat. So I, I withdrew from a lot of people. So I withdrew from friends. I withdrew from the community. Um, and so the idea of dating was just like, so far away for me. Um, and I really, really focused just on me. So Mm -hmm. I feel that now I have this, now I have this thing with my partners where, um, I feel really, I feel really good and I feel really, really loved at home. Um, the next step that I need to work on though, is feeling sexy again, because that is something that just don't feel. Um, Mm -hmm. and and confessionally, again, it is it is challenging when you move in with your husband and boyfriend to have sex. <laughs> yeah, it 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 is yeah, in general. And there's that idea that like, oh, you have two partners and you all live together. You probably what have sex all the like? time, and I'm like, no, 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 we're not. No, it's uh, the sex logistics are challenging. Um, mm. You know, so I don't have nearly as much sex as I'd like to. And I need to because that's what sort of keeps me feeling like I am, uh, I don't want to say the word viable. That's a terrible word. Yeah, to feel desirable. Desirable is the right word, not viable. Good Lord. Yeah, like that feeling of being hot. You can obviously, you can work on that yourself. But if you're up against other things in your life, if you are dealing with chronic pain, if you're dealing with energy level issues, if you're dealing with other shit that happens in life, you don't necessarily have the time and energy to devote to how can I feel sexy in my life? Like there are some people who, you know, wear lingerie and take bubble baths and like enjoy the sensuality of eating dark chocolate. And to you, I say, bravo. (laughs) However, I just feel like for where I am in my life right now, and I think where you are as well, it's, it's hard to, to devote the time to that. And so that's where, not to say that you should derive all of your value from what other people think about you or how much sex you're having or, you know, who you have as a partner, Mm -hmm. but part of a partnership is helping people to kind of get through more challenging moments, helping people to, to see the fun and the value in their life, which includes themselves. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say, you know, having more sex with partners would sort of help me to feel like the levity of my body and help me feel more connected. Cause also when you're experiencing pain or fatigue or illness or disability, it's not that you're in in a fight with your body, but there yeah. are complicated feelings. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And it's hard to be like, oh, my body is a fun temple for sexiness when you're also like, my body makes me not want to go out and do things. My body makes me feel bad. Yeah, like it feels like my body is betraying me all the time. So mm-hmm. um, I do need this sort of reassurance that – it, it is also used for good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it is, good. and a lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, find that within yourself. And I'm like, yeah, that's great for you to say, but maybe you don't deal with your body hurting you every single day. Um, mm. 
and, and I do good for myself. You know, I'm, I, I take myself, I take myself to the gym and, and I try to put good things into my body, but at the same time, I still need, I still need someone to touch it and to tell me that it's okay. Um, yeah. And you can use any yeah. of these things together. Yeah. It's not to say that there's only, there's only one good way to feel good about yourself. There are lots of good ways and ideally they intersect and interact with each other. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Quickly, I also wanted to talk about like the big thing you have coming up. Playground is returning. It is. Um, so for those who don't know, which is probably a lot of people, Playground is um, Playground is a, a conference that I started in 2011, and it's focused on sexuality, basically. So we cover pretty much all areas of uh, sex and sexual justice. Um, we talk about sexual health, non-monogamy, kink, dating, relationships, uh, disability, um, pretty much you name it, it's, it's there. Um, this year is the first year that we're coming back after being on hiatus since 2015. So I'm very excited and it, and I've been thinking about it. And actually one of the reasons why I really did take that hiatus is because the last playground was happening during that big identity crisis for me. Um, mm-hmm. and it was happening when I was figuring out what the heck all of this chronic pain was. And I really just didn't have the energy and I didn't feel like running a thing whatsoever. Understandably, you know, that's a lot of work when you're feeling amazing and you're very secure in yourself yeah. and your body yeah. is cooperating a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, which it rarely ever is. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm really excited. We've sold so many tickets. We've got so many speakers already. I'm going to be working on the schedule so that I can release it soon. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause you're going on a Star Trek cruise. I'm going on a Star Trek cruise. That's true. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thanks for telling the world about that. Not that I'm not. Oh, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a, okay. I'm sorry. You will. <laughs> Smith also has uh, the pineapple pinup. Uh, and a lot of that is very geek culture centric, your, your arts. Um, yeah, you, you know, you, you, I would say you wear it on your sleeve, but usually as a print on your dress yeah. or like a button you made or. I have really embraced my inner nerd in probably the past five years as well. Um, uh, yeah, it's amazing what five years can do. It's true. And I think that's maybe a, a nice way to, to kind of end this and, and to bookend this somewhat is that not to say the time heals all wounds, but time passes, we learn things, we become more comfortable with ourselves, we become more able to identify the parts that we're not comfortable with and seek to either not to say fix, but to to integrate to live with to kind of like, yeah, exactly. And that is absolutely true dating and the heartache we experience and the chaos we experience is that it's not that it's gone forever, but we can slowly learn to roll with the punches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, getting older is actually a lot greater than you think. Agreed. And it does, it, it makes dating and relationships. I mean, there, there are always challenges that come with every different milestone, but it does, it just makes it a little bit easier to kind of get a handle of things. Yeah, I agree. All right. Thanks so much to Samantha. Uh, that was really fun because we actually, I forgot to even mention this. We used to have a podcast together. Um, we did a number of episodes of the tell me something good podcast on the swingset.fm network. And, uh, between me having a stroke and Samantha developing fibromyalgia and chronic migraines and me getting married and Samantha moving into a house with her husband and boyfriend, uh, just kind of, we started really strong and then many things happened and it was hard to get back on there, but it was really fun to talk. I mean, once in a while we talk on, uh, Sex City, my radio show. We talk every month that tell me something good, of course, but just having this kind of chance to talk in a way that isn't exactly the way we talk when we are planning things or just catching up was lovely. She's a really smart and interesting person and it was it was great to just talk about dating because I mean I guess usually we talk about sex or frankly how tired we are. So um, you can find Samantha 
on Twitter at Samantha Fraser. That's F-R-A-S-E-R, not like Fraser. Samantha is also at SamanthaFraser.com, and uh, Samantha's Facebook is Samantha Fraser Coach. So that's a little bit focusing on coaching. Uh, Samantha also, as we mentioned, uh, runs Playground Conference. So Playground Conference is Playground Conf, which is like the first four letters of conference, C-O-N-F, uh, on Twitter, playgroundconf.com, and also playgroundconf on Facebook. And then tell me something good if you're interested in our live storytelling night or even going through the archives of our uh, podcast. It's TMSG Stories on Twitter, tmsgstories.com, and TMSG Stories on Facebook. TMSG as in tell me something good. Please subscribe and rate a date with on iTunes. Want to be a guest? Visit the website at adatewithpodcast.com or tweet at adatewithpod to find out how. Special thanks to Cambo for use of the song Wake for our theme music. Tune in next time for a date with, well, you'll have to wait and find out.